The views and opinions expressed by the guests of the Inspira podcast do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of any agency of the United States government or any organization, public or private. Welcome to the Inspira podcast, hosted by your girl, me, Erica Mueller-Chen. I'm an international development specialist with over a decade of experience leveraging the amazing power of sport to promote peace and positive social impact. My career has allowed me to live in Europe, Southern Africa, and Latin America. In 2022, I accepted an offer for my dream job in sports diplomacy. And I also became an employee family member to a U.S. diplomat, a.k.a. an EFM. This podcast is all about inspiration and career advice. Each episode, I'll interview an inspirational global changemaker working in sport for development, social impact, or the diplomatic service. This series is perfect if you have interest in breaking into one of these sectors or you've already landed that dream role and are keen to learn from thought leaders. Enjoy today's episode and stay inspired. I definitely didn't see myself doing this. I definitely didn't see this happening now. If someone was to tell me 10 years ago, there's a role where you can use, you can travel the world and and use sport as a tool to help young people and get paid for it. I would have said, where? You know, sign me up. That's impossible. That's, everyone's going to want to do that. Welcome, friends. Today we are here with Mr. Lee Parker. He is a sport for development enthusiast who brings experience working with grassroots organizations globally to help build their capacity and impact. Lee is currently the Senior Programs and Grants Manager at the very well-known Laureus Sport for Good, based out of their London office. He's responsible for building relationships and networks, resourcing and distributing funding to organizations across South America, Africa, and the UK. Lee comes from a multi-ethnic background and is a first-generation Ecuadorian-Iranian. Lee's upbringing and experiences in a multi-diverse part of London have shaped him to become not only an enthusiast in sport, and in particular basketball, but also an advocate for communities to removing barriers for people just like him. And I believe, Lee, you also got engaged recently, so congrats on that one. You've got a lot going on, a lot of exciting things in the works. Yeah, thank you for that. I was thinking that's like a perfect LinkedIn bio, and then you added in the engagement at the end. (laughs) Yeah, and I'll also add, you know, I was going to mention it later, but you and I, we like a nice glass of wine. We also like our tacos. So, you know, just adding the personal flavor there so that people really know you and me, especially you today. (laughs) That's it. Yeah, if only we had like this happening in Mexico, then I'm sure it would look a bit different. But Mm -hmm. next time. Definitely. Lee, for this podcast, I've named it Inspira. I, I try to make it about inspiration and career advice. And so before jumping into the questions, something I like to do is just mention why my guest inspires me. You inspire me because you're always down to collaborate and just like a really good human. I know you and I met a few years ago in London and I really enjoyed staying in touch with you. Um, not only are you you know, passionate about supporting young people and organizations to realize and reach their full potential, but you're really committed to including them in those approaches and those solutions. So really excited to you know, learn what that looks like for you and where that comes from throughout your career and throughout your life. So, so pumped to learn more about you today in this podcast setting <laughs> oh that's that's very sweet right and I think uh it takes one to know one and you know I I kind of gravitate to like-minded people and just try and see the best in everyone as much as you can and be intentional with how you do things just for starters I I know before the call I I asked you a little bit about your recent travel can you uh fill us in on where you've been the last couple of months any of the work stuff any of the fun stuff yeah yeah so like before the the call we were just talking offline and and uh, yeah it, it's, it's quite shameless it's quite shameful at the same time like my job allows me to travel to places very unique 
um, allows me to see amazing things and see the great impact. But then it also allows me to stay a while <laughs> and, <laughs> and see how things are done and, and then just in, engross myself in, in the culture and, and learn how learn more about the, the people of that country and, and how things are done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the best way to learn. Very recently, I was in India and I was there as part of my role with Laureus to support one of our Sport for Good Cities programs that we have in Delhi, uh, in a part of Delhi called Simapuri, uh, which is um, uh, a population of around 100,000 people. Um, there's high levels of poverty, high levels of uh, discrimination against women and girls, um, no infrastructure or no projects for sport activities and and a lot of things that the kids get up to there is is basically playing cards or smoking um because there's just not, not much activities there uh so we've been doing some work there over the past couple of years to implement a program for uh, the people of Simapuri that brings uh organizations that work together there and the community to to come together and decide how they're gonna impact the community through sport and change those things so um, recently, it was the one-year anniversary of the program, and I, I went there to meet my colleague Renu, who's driving the program, and and I got to see the amazing work that's happened in just one year of them building a coalition of like-minded people and a community that is just like they're just driving this project by themselves with with Laureus support mm-hmm. and and my kind of guidance from afar <laughs> um they've just completely it, it's just like you're entering a mini sport town football sessions happening and and speaking to the elders and the families in the community uh, and uh, the young girls i had a chance to speak to all these people who have just expressed um their thanks and and the, the good work that's happened when all these people have come together to to drive change and girls are now playing sport and and seeing opportunities and aspirations beyond what they saw before just by playing football and learning more about their sexual health rights and basic rights um, interview skills it just the list is endless so um, I, I that's that was part of my trip there and I was there for a, a week to to see a lot of partners and, and the work that's happening there um, whilst I'm on the topic like one thing that was like really inspiring was uh, I went there and we, I met some of the young girls that work under Renu who have kind of been inspired by her. And they came up to me and they showed me a constitution that they made for a an NGO that they've created like off their back. So these girls are no, no older than 19, 20. Like they've just been literally inspired by what's been happening and they've created their own NGO They've gone out to create a constitution. They've tried to do events and they're growing. Um, they want it to be an, an, a youth-led NGO in this part of Delhi to inspire more girls to become the next generation. And and um, and yeah, I mean, they they really they took it to me, and I was just blown away. Like you know, that's half the job right there. That the legacy of of being able to for them to be inspired and and to continue the journey. And we're just there to facilitate that. Like if we can get funding towards them to to continue that, then that's that's most of the job done. And there's a legacy there. So uh I was I was very lucky to see that. Um yeah, and then the other part of my trip is I, I just went off to Dubai after that <laughs> to see some friends and, and have some sun and, and relax. And uh yeah, my bank balance isn't really um in a good place right now. But, but your heart is full, right? My yeah. heart is full. My belly is full. My head hurts a little bit, but it's okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, that is mind-blowing what you said that right when you visit, I mean, the program's maybe been running a year perhaps, and you've already mm-hmm. got participants or people been inspired by local leaders to say, yeah, I'm going to do that. Like, why not me? And then come up with this plan. So that's that's what it's about. And, and that also gives you comfort, whatever kind of seat you're in within the sport for development structure, like especially more on the capacity building or like funder side, because you always think about what it's going to be two, three, four years down the line for the communities in which you're working. And so just to have that, uh, yeah, stability in that uh, reality that people are continuing the work is really, really special and encouraging. Yeah, it's a it's a harsh reality. Like, and again, I implore anyone who's listening, like, if you do get an opportunity to visit, whether it's in your country or abroad, to visit like a 
the, the communities where they say you shouldn't be going to or you know there isn't much going on there's a lot going on there's just the infrastructure the support just hasn't been given the communication isn't great and people can't wear multiple hats they're busy trying to change things and it, when you go and see some of these programs and and obviously don't, <laughs> the best way to do it is to try and be very humble about it and um and and not kind of go with a big microscope but uh you you kind of start to you see the the bigger picture of the, everything exists already like the, the ingredients are all there uh, the people are there the the ambition is there no one no one inadvertently doesn't want to help or doesn't is not interested in sport everyone does want to do sport and and find a way to integrate it but the reality is that there's other priorities that come before that whether it's sanitation um hunger you know just employment you know mm. there's there's things that will just really give you that reality um but the bottom line is that with this example with the work in india in, in a place which is like it's described as a slum um and and pe- a lot of people live in like seven people in one room um and, and it's like in an area where there's a lot of um garbage and rubbish and people's the job is to separate the rubbish and uh, stuff like that there's there's still hope and and you know the the light is there to just they just need someone to facilitate that whether it's laureus or a renu or a local ngo or the police you know whoever it is that has the power to kind of say look you know let's kind of give you this 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 equipment or whatever you need the base to to help you drive your ideas and and the trust and and it, and it usually just takes off if you just do that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great teaser into what we're going to talk about today. Your work Sorry. at Laureus. <laughs> yeah. End of the interview. <laughs> and so, thank you for uh, yeah taking my very simple question of where have you been and uh, educating us. So, Lee, take me back a little bit more to the beginning. I know in in the bio I read, I talked about how uh, you being first generation Ecuadorian, Iranian, growing up in London has really shaped you as a human. And then also that interest in basketball and sport. What was it like growing up and how did some of those influences shape you, whether it was cultural or geographical or sporty? What did that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we have enough time to dig into my like. (laughs) like growing up experiences because and not not because it's like an epic like bible story it's just because there was there's a lot going on so like mm. you know I, to give you like a condensed version um my name lee parker and and something which i i touch on a bit more as i got older is like that name really doesn't resonate to anyone the surname doesn't mean anything if anything it's just uh the surname i had when my mom came to this country and married someone for papers and so that name stuck and the name Lee stuck as well because she liked that name. Um, so when she arrived, she she came to East, Lo- uh, East London, just outside Barking, very Cockney area and mm-hmm. um, worked with some people there to look after older an older lady who happened to be from Spain. Uh, they, they looked after her. Then she met my dad and he was from Iran and they met somewhere in the 80s on a dance floor. They had me. <laughs> um they didn't stay together and then I, I live with my mom and I didn't really get to know my Iranian side so already it's just like you know the Ecuadorian culture or the Iranian culture doesn't reflect in my name um but as as I was growing up that you know that was fine my mom was really kind of like you know did, did an amazing job <laughs> I like to think and then um as I grew up I kind of uh, was growing up in in West London mm-hmm. uh, with my mom and my stepdad and um and and being raised in a kind of multicultural environment, uh, whether it's at home with the the Latin parties and the salsa and the culture that you have there, or, or whether it's outside when you uh, live in a place like uh, Shepherd's Bush, mm-hmm. where there's uh, people from the Caribbean community, Somali community, Polish, everything you can imagine. Um, so you're already in a bit of a kind of multicultural world. And um, my identity didn't really play a role in how I was being shaped but you know there were things that I, I was growing up and I, I did realize that I was put in the Asian category because I looked mm. Asian and those connotations that come with it the negative tones of, of people being racist in in London mm. was very prominent back then 
but it, it never really like impacted me in a place where it was like oh my god this is really deep but mm. um it did it did make me question like things around my own upbringing and, and where I'm from and who I am and my mix and my name mm -hmm. and stuff like that so we, we, throughout all this I, I managed to create great friendships uh in in the area and uh went to play basketball at a local uh sports hall a local youth club and that's where I met my like first kind of real mentor uh coach who who kind of believed in me and, and you know basketball wasn't really like something I just went to I just happened to be all right at it and then I just happened to be encouraged by it at a very young age and I think at that young age is really important to people that attach to themselves to a sport if they're just getting the support and the motivation to just to just be listened to or acknowledged then they're very likely to stick to it and that that's what happened to me and I stayed through basketball and um, had friends there that we all played games together and stuff and again very multicultural and I've, I've always kind of like seen how the coach was and, and the impact of youth work at that age even though I didn't really know what was happening uh, I, I did see the impact of, of having a role model and being inspired and having these friendship groups and then as, as I got older, that just always stuck to me. I've always been big into sports, always loved boxing, football, basketball. Um, but I, I always remembered those kind of grassroots days and they come with difficulties in an area where you probably get mugged after mm. basketball sessions and you probably encounter some things, but you also have a lot of fun. And there was a lot of like banter of, of like just kids being kids in, in this part of town. And, um, and we had a lot of fun. And that that kind of shaped who I was, those kind of relationships and, and the sport as I was having and, and just being listened to. Mm -hmm. um, and then as, as I started getting older with, you know, keeping my childhood in mind, I started seeing inequalities that were a bit like, hang on a minute, you know, where I, where I was raised is uh, the north of the borough of Kensington and Chelsea. And the south of that borough is where Kensington Palace is and is probably one of the richest places in the world. And they share the same borough. So um, a stat that you wouldn't see is the difference between these two sides and the inequalities where you can see a chicken shop down the road and then further five minute walk, probably one of the best houses you've ever seen. Like, and um, and uh, and then as you know, and this is probably links to things like the Grenfell fire. And uh, I don't know if you've heard about that, but there was like a big fire that happened in London um, that was a lot blamed on institutional racism and and just lack of care for people that lived in in these um, type of high-rise buildings and the other side of the boroughs untouched so I started seeing all this these things and working uh, even before that happened but I just started working in the community and working with young people from disadvantaged backgrounds who might have had a similar journey to me might not have but just haven't been given a chance to to do what they want to do and, and that's what shaped me up to this day to to do what I do and why I play basketball and um, why I, you know, tend to have a lot of faith with people that think like me. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for that wonderful snapshot into what it looked like, what it felt like, you know, the good and, and the not so good, but it really sounds like the not so good. You, you started to figure out, you know, what are the solutions that you or others can bring to support people who either had similar challenges to you or people who you might've been around, especially from the youth side of things, thinking about how sport can do that and mentorship. So you've definitely used that, you know, for the power of good, which is so relevant to, to what you're up to today. And uh, I'm wondering, Lee, if you can give us kind of the, maybe the career side of that story. So now I've got kind of like the personal, the identity side of that story. When did you start working and uh, what types of roles did you have maybe leading up to Laureus? Yeah, so I mean, I think my journey in sport for development probably started like good 12 years ago. And mm -hmm. Um, like many people back then, you know, you finish uni. At uni, I was lucky to do sport for development. But mm. looking back at it, when I was doing the course, it really didn't really encompass a lot of what it is today. It probably didn't make sense. I don't think a lot of the lecturers, no offense, but they were still trying to figure it out. And it was in, in its infancy. Yeah. Um, and it was a topic that was quite laugh laughable, like good 20 years ago now when I did like a course in college in the... Uh, <laughs> secondary like just after secondary school <laughs> and um it's a true story I remember the, the tutor actually 
like got caught saying you know they introduced sports science as like a course and the, the tutor got caught saying like you know sports science what are they going to do with this and i was like this is the guy that's going to be running my he's going to be teaching us like you know he, oh he does science God. on the other hand so it just shows you the little journey of like sport and you know the study that <laughs> especially in the uk um but i digress so with um with my career like i i was interested in marketing and comms i thought that was like something that i would be good at I had no idea what i was doing uh but then i started to just naturally gravitate and and i think this comes down to my mum she's always been involved in the community she's very proud to kind of sit on boards and attend local rallies and she knows everyone and um she put me in like a bit of a placement with a local ngo to to help help run some gym that was they had like a community gym that was just run down equipment from the 80s and they were like oh maybe you can help volunteer in doing two days a week with these guys and get some experience and i was like yeah that's great you know i'll, I'll do that and it's a gym and getting involved in the community i'm pretty sure i can create like a, a flyer or something and get people involved to do that stuff um and then i, I think from there i started to like, just pick up community-based intervention and sport wasn't really on my mind it was just like the hook to make me enjoy that job but I, what i really started to enjoy was uh, speaking to people and, and connecting the dots and finding uh solutions and, and collaborations like you know like you said i just i always think it's easier when you just find people to work together and and, and find a way to make it happen and um, from then on i then uh applied for a role at the dame philly homes trust um Dutch is double Olympic gold medalist who started her own organization um in the UK uh all about helping disadvantaged young people through sport and I went for a job and I, I remember I didn't get the job but I think um one of the things that helped me was part of the interview was I had to write a letter to a young child who was rejected for something and and the feedback that I got was there was a lot of empathy in the letter and uh, they managed to make a job up for me to do like reception work or admin or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I just, I took it. I was like, well, this is, this is, seems like a great opportunity. I, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm, I'm not, you know, too proud to, I don't even know what the real job really entailed. So I just did it. <laughs> and then um, as I did that role, I started to be more, I put my nose in a lot of things. Like I, I can be quite a bit of a sponge and <laughs> be a bit of a nuisance and, uh, I saw the programs that they were running with young people and I got invited to come along and naturally I just went along and and they were like six week cohorts with children and young people to make them more confident and build skills and I did like a couple of cohorts and became friends and kind of like friends slash mentor because I wasn't leaving but I was just there and um, and it just happened naturally you know and uh, that's when I started to be given more responsibility on that side of things, delivering programs. And but I started designing the programs, working with the, the athletes that were leading the program and started to drive the the, the initiative uh, within uh, Dame Tilly Homes Trust. So, and then I was there for a couple of years during the London Olympics. And then I went back to my old community. Um, I did some work uh, near the Grenfell Tower, working in that community and trying to get the local schools, local people to just um, work together to make the holiday camps more inclusive and get everyone together to do different sports other than football and um, rugby. And I, I introduced like art and, and skateboarding and, and music and making things more fun. Very Americanized like way of, I was just like, this is, we need to do something else. And and it was great. People just saw different things and, and gave kids opportunity to do something else other than football. And a lot more girls as well nice. um introduced like spoken word really just trying that people were doing these things in the community is like just bring them together and, and create a schedule and, and make it happen um after that i then went to center point to work at homeless charity and this was more kind of working with um, curriculums to help homeless uh young people that live in hostels around london and uh, providing them with a sport a curriculum that had uh, an element of nutrition and and skills for employability and confidence building uh, and again I just kind of managed that side of things and worked with again more athletes who were leading the program to make these kids and young people kind of have look into more long-term housing 
which was really great. Uh, and then after that, I moved to a place called London Youth and worked more with uh, the youth groups in London that were that, the NGOs that were working with children and young people and trying to build their capacity for them. And uh, that, that was a tough gig. Like that was like a really big, more strategic kind of element. And um, I, I learned a lot there around, you know, how what capacity building was starting to, I started to see things a bit differently about what that that looked like and, and how to help these groups uh, collectively and more pan London, it's a massive city. But then I went to uh, Laureus and that's where I saw this role for working on the funder side. So already I kind of like built, had the experience of all the, um, delivery and working with young people I had the experience of being that young person myself who was on a funded program even though I didn't even know it uh and and recognize that okay maybe I can bring more to the table on the funder side and uh and that's what happened and uh I've I've been there now for five years uh just growing and learning to this day uh but all the stuff all the experiences beforehand up from my childhood and old jobs uh high and low have have shaped how I do my role today, and and that's probably why I'm I'm leading on the initiative around Sport for Good Cities, which is about you know communities coming together and and letting them decide where the money goes and, and working with them to make that happen. Um, so yeah, that's that's uh, that's my career journey. Quick break here to highlight what I consider to be a fabulous resource that I've created for any listeners out there interested in learning more about the sport for development and peace sector. You've come to the right place. In addition to Inspira podcast episodes that you can listen to, I've created a written resource that you can read, which currently has over 90 items I've curated from my own experience and vetted with other experts in the field. These include databases to find award-winning organizations, links to reports, books, and research, as well as recommended newsletters and recorded webinars, all Sport for Dev related. I encourage you to have a look. You can find this resource by visiting my link tree listed in each episode's show notes, then clicking Erica's Global Resource Hub. That's right, Erica's Global Resource Hub. If you like what you read and what you hear, I'd love it if you could give Inspira a five-star review on your chosen podcast platform and write a kind review. That would be so energizing for me and it would help Inspira reach more ears. Thanks and back to the show. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And and as you said, it positions you really well to understand the communities that you're aiming to support now on the funder side. I'm curious if that, you know, 12 years ago, perhaps I know the answer to this, but 12 years ago, like, did you see yourself in this type of role working in sport for development? And were you kind of trying to get there? I definitely didn't see myself doing this. I definitely didn't see this happening now. If someone was to tell me 10 years ago, there's a role where you can use, you can travel the world and and use sport as a tool to help young people and get paid for it. I would have said, where? You know, sign me up. That's impossible. <laughs> That's, everyone's going to want to do that. Uh, and I didn't really know much about like international development. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just kind of like, following i was just following my nose basically i was always like trying to keep my head around above water and uh money wasn't a massive thing i just i need i knew i needed like a salary and Mm -hmm. i also accepted you know i I did kind of limit myself a little bit at the beginning where i limited myself to just work in the third sector and see that you know you're not going to get paid a certain amount you're only going to do certain things and it's going to be working with young people helping people so I never really saw beyond, you know, like a, a program manager or I never saw myself as as having that strategic now to do something because I just didn't have that experience or I never really was raised in those in those circles to to get that idea and inspiration. But that slowly changes as you go through the motions and you start putting yourself in different rooms and you start to not question yourself and you start to realize, you know, your ideas are are valid and it doesn't need a validation every time you know you should be 
trusting yourself and that's something that I just took from job to job mm -hmm. um I started to trust my instincts on on new ideas um I started to rely on my experience not just my experience in work and, and experience in jobs but also just my experience as someone who is from that type of community who knows how certain things work and culture and and you know I, I started to put things together and and realize that you know i i don't have the answer but it's definitely something to try and and, and people gravitate towards me deciding on right this is probably a good idea to, on how to do things and and build trust and empathy and, mm -hmm. and things like that so in short it was it was never expected to get to this point and and to be fair it's still as i get older i start to get more experience and you know things like what i'm doing now i i wouldn't think that someone would ask me to speak on their podcast 10 years ago because <laughs> just because you know you just you just your mindset is just so limited um but that changes as you go on and you, you just realize you have more to give to the world mm -hmm. than than what the world expects from you and it, and it's just been a bit of a mind shift and it's still a journey and I don't think it really ends so yeah, that's super powerful. And I just want to pull out a few of the strengths that you mentioned. Uh, even if you don't know you're mentioning your strengths, I, I really think that they've uh, contributed to your success. So uh, one, something that you said a little bit earlier, that you're a sponge, like you really try to soak up information and knowledge. And then two, you just mentioned you put yourself in these rooms to have these conversations you put yourself out there three uh speaking up and trusting yourself those three strengths leading to uh, a potential result a potential benefit what you mentioned about the ability to build trust and empathy and that's really the key to a lot of this work a lot of what you do a lot of what i've done well i'll ask you about the mission of Laureus in a minute but while we're on this train of thought of allowing people to feel heard and using empathy to build trust. How has that interacted with you as a funder, kind of being in that position? And there's an obvious power dynamic when it comes to organizations that have financial resources that are supporting other organizations. How has that empathy served you and maybe what are kind of the limitations for you know what you can do in your position maybe more on like the personal side you know if you've got people asking you for favors or you build this trust and then you know you want to do more but maybe you just can't based off of the resources available to you yeah it's it's a tricky one but I think it's it's all about being quite honest and, mm -hmm. and managing expectations from the start it's also about trust like you have to trust the people you work with, you know, especially with funding, you have, there are, there are some kind of non-negotiables to just kind of make sure things are, are in, are happening in a certain way. Um, you know, not everything is perfect, but you have to just lay out the expectations and make sure it's a two way street. Mm -hmm. um, one story that I have is like, you know, when I started at Laureus, I remember I was managing, uh, uh, grantee partnership uh, with uh, a big organization and I just took the role on to you know I, I followed the rules of making sure we had like a monthly catch-up and as as we were doing that having that one-to-one -one relationship with me kind of expecting a call every month or trying to provide support just for the sake of following the process was quite waste was quite a waste of time because there wasn't really much that I could do for them and they were kind of doing their own thing and, and to be honest probably quite bigger than what we were and what we still are and and then that that just taught me like a harsh lesson of like yeah i'm just i need to just kind of not follow that rule book you know mm -hmm. of that funder partner relationship of mm -hmm. how many times you catch up or what's happening and stuff like that and and just incorporate and trust i, I learned very quickly to mm -hmm. to leave the the lines of communication open Mm -hmm. um, I learned quickly, learned very quickly. It's not just about talking about the money or what's happening with the money. Mm -hmm. It was more, uh, my role is to facilitate any collaboration, any networking, anything that will make your job easier, anything that will make your reporting less hazardous and time consuming. 
and and that that's that's how I I've done things and I you know what managing grants and and I hate saying managing grants because it's just there's people out there that have multiple funders and then they have to speak to eight different people that are like me and some of them you know need their ego checked <laughs> and this is why it's really important to to visit these places and mm. and you'll you'll see some of these projects and some of the uh, it's something which has been induced by the the ecosystem of funders that you know a lot of organizations don't have strong bid writers because they don't speak the lingo of a funder mm-hmm. or they don't speak the way that we speak in the global north about you know mm-hmm. what where money goes and and we can look at an application and be like that's not good enough that doesn't make sense and it could make perfect sense but just when it comes down to technical stuff or you know it just mm-hmm. doesn't and they can get a no and um, I've seen that happen, um, not necessarily, not necessarily at Laureus, you know, not to catch anyone out, but yep. yeah, I've heard stories about that, you know, with with other funders who just don't have the experience or understand who they're working with. And once you connect with someone, build a relationship, see what they do, speak to the young people, you you can get an application from them and just be like, you know, I don't need to, I, I can understand what they're doing. I can look at their webpage. I can speak to them and understand more. And that's what that's where the trust comes in. Um, and I think that's that's what's helped me uh, be really kind of mindful of, of those relationship boundaries. And uh, again, it's, it's probably directed me to where I'm at with this with this sport for good cities, where it's not really working with a grantee; it's working with a steering group of organisations to drive something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I try to just Im- implore that uh, that balance to them as well, because that exists in the communities as well, where bigger organisations run you know they run the roost so to speak and they control the narrative they control the money but they need to take the smaller organizations with them and sometimes that's hard for them as well because we've uh, the funding world is, has created a, a, an ecosystem where people will compete with each other for for funding so yeah i've got i've gone off a bit on a tangent there but uh, and the reason why we do the type of work we do now but that's mm. that's pretty much how i deal with that yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about why Laureus exists and some of the different initiatives or models over the years that you've either been involved with or you're aware of, historically speaking? Yeah, um, I mean, with Laureus, they've been around for 20 years and they initially started off as a as a call to action for athletes to be more involved and advocate for sport. And um, Nelson Mandela did the, the speech at the first awards, which is you know used a lot by uh, different parts of the sector and that and, quote and photo and Laurie's background yeah. I mean you could see it on every sport for development person or organization exactly which is super cool. yeah and uh, you know a lot of people were doing this before we even got involved as time has gone on and, and we're quite open about this is it's never a space owned by Laurie's and uh, as one of my colleagues said like you know we're not the king makers of it like I think the the prestige of the awards and Mandela's speech is gives it that narrative that, you know, we, we're trying to drive something by ourselves, but it definitely isn't. And in my time and, and probably a bit of time before I joined, Laureus has always been um, trying to be at the forefront, especially more recently to create networks and bring people together. Uh, so things like learning communities is something which we've done a lot of and still continue to do. Uh, bringing people that are working towards gender equality and using sport from around the world to share learning, share resources, talk about theory of change, uh, build capacity, uh, and just kind of cross-cultural learning to to improve whatever they can. And we, we just facilitate that. Um, we've also been involved in conversations with wider policy sectors and, and, and people like the UN and UNICEF to really drive um, whatever policy change is needed, whether it's safeguarding um, or, or the work that we're doing with community-based intervention to kind of really bring it to policy level and influence policy. So the people that are in power, the people that can make the change, and you'll know more about this as you start to go forward, to um, have the keys to, to kind of unlock that funding and, and long-term change in their community, in their country, uh, and ultimately, Laureus's purpose is to to be able to facilitate a lot of this, and and for Laureus to not really exist in the future if, if all things go to plan, you know. 
there's plenty more that Laureus is involved in, uh, and we're just involved in the loads of circles, and we have um, quite a big team globally, and and you, you you've met some of them. The partners that we work with, we've got, we quite we work like as a bit of an intermediary funder, um, so we don't, you know, we a lot of the funding we get is from other people and not necessarily just ourselves. Like we don't sit on a gold mine as much as that would be great. <laughs> not a Mercedes like, gold mine. <laughs> Mercedes gold mine. That, that would be amazing. We just decided what we could do, but we 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 work with organisations to really um, help them embed sport for development, and we also try to learn from them so we can mm. take it to another place in the world and, and create this network of learning and an opportunity mm-hmm. and and just you know it's all focused on on children and young people and for anyone listening kind of newer to the space uh they'll certainly learn that laureus is one of the biggest names in sport for development i'm wondering lee if you can share any insights into how you got your foot in the door or maybe how other people can get their foot in the door if there's an opening or might be an opening down the line yeah no definitely and you know they are a big name (laughs) but i'll be honest like i didn't know who they were i only knew them for the awards (laughs) because i was a a bit of a fanboy for awards i was always quite interested (laughs) in the award i didn't watch the awards but i'd always be like oh that's like federer versus I don't know, Lewis Hamilton, you know, that's very rare to see sports mm. come up against each other. And then you'd kind of read about it and be like, oh, he's won, that's a big win. Uh, so I guess putting my foot in the door, I just, I I, I saw the role and it was more for like a junior role um, and, and being a grants manager. I think the, the biggest strength there was um, showing my ambition and attitude to learn, like really pick up, uh, you know, so... Again, it's 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 not in terms of like those things about putting your foot in the door. You do need a bit of luck. You need to have someone on the other side who's doing the conversations or doing the interviews to, to take a bit of a leap of faith and, and ask questions of yourself. And I was lucky to have that aspect with me. And um, uh, when it came down to the interviews and, and doing stuff, I, I just stayed true to the empathy stuff that I spoke about. A lot of the questions were around empathy and relationships. And um, there were questions on budgets and, and stuff like that. And that's Excel isn't my strong point. And that's something which I had to take on and, and learn. Uh, but again, it was the priorities of, of your values matching what Laureus was, is what made me kind of um, get the job at the end. Um, and that, that, you know, I don't think it answers much of a question of how I put my foot in the door, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, just, I, I would, I would rather look at my experience beforehand in those jobs where I, I got offered another job for something else. And it was, a, it was just about mindsets of when you are given a chance to do something, um, to just grab it with both hands and, and mm-hmm. don't, don't be afraid to fail, ask the right questions, uh, all the wrong questions um be inquisitive and, and just try things and, and shadow ask people what they do and learn and be a bit of a sponge and if you can find ways to connect dots and, and make things happen then people will give you that chance to do it and that's that's what i found helped me to do things well lee i asked that question not because you didn't have the resume for it because you surely had the ideal resume for it as we talked about in the earlier parts of this interview uh but i'm I'm always just curious kind of how you know if anyone did anything unique right to to get in so so thanks for for entertaining that do you feel like your experiences when you were younger and kind of learning more about your identity and how you're perceived in different communities has helped you in understanding other cultures or in integrating into these many different cities and countries that you've either worked in or visited? hundred percent, hundred percent. Like, I mean, I, I see myself cut from a different cloth compared to many people that might be in my industry or in my job. Um, the way I talk, the way <laughs> the way I look, uh, you know, my, my name will come up. If you don't see me, you would assume someone else, and then you see me, and then things uh, don't make sense. Um, but then, like, it just allows me to, you know, go to places, you know, whether it's a Mexico or Delhi. I'm, I'm coming in with a bit of a, 
an understanding of of that culture of that language there's, there's a bit of me that is a bit more open and and not um painfully avoidant or, or you know um, or not painfully aware that i'm very different there's something there's there's some sort of middle ground there that allows me to to do that and 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 i mean it could be anyone that could go into these communities and have the same personality as me they could be a white person who speaks like me in the same area and they could very well be just as as welcomed and uh and connect as quickly as i do uh but for me that's those you know those initial barriers already reduced and mm. i just know from my experiences of, of working in certain uh, or being raised in a certain community and not seeing a lot of the the stuff that a lot of these communities see daily um helps help just helps me kind of understand their their situation to an extent i don't understand the poverty i don't understand that way of living because that's just that's just ignorant of me to say that like you know I, I i was raised with running water and hot water and stuff like that and but there's just those things where uh you know community at the heart of stuff and uh as much negativity that's happening in the community there's so much happiness and and spread and that's something which i've just grasped from my own kind of upbringing or listening to my mother about stuff in ecuador and, and going back to ecuador and seeing mm -hmm. happiness even though there's poverty uh it, it's helped me a lot to to kind of integrate swiftly into wherever i go and and mm. just absorb as much as i can nice including nice. the food right so, yeah. <laughs> That's a part of integration. That's a part of learning yeah. the culture. You have to eat and drink <laughs> alongside the locals. So, yeah. Right. Now that we know more about our guest's career journey, the rest of our conversation will allow us to have some fun and get to know our guest on a personal level through some rapid fire questions. We'll then start to wrap up with pointed questions focused on advice and how our listeners can transform interest into action. Enjoy the rest of the conversation. Who's your football team? Queens Park Rangers. Do you have a best sports memory? Yeah, I think um, probably probably not not me participating, but me watching was like overall the best sports memory was just seeing mm -hmm. Ecuador in the 2006 World Cup, and it was like small countries like you know they they were in the World Cup before, but now they were like there and they meant they meant it, you know they were there to compete, and uh, I. I I think they beat Poland 2-0 and everyone was surprised and shocked. And I wasn't. I was like, I knew that would happen. But watching it on TV and wearing the shirt, it was like Ecuador is like a, a small country that's now a bit more known. Uh, that, that was a very proud moment. I'll, I'll never forget that. And then we lost to England in the quarterfinals, <laughs> which was like a weird experience for me because I was like, I think I still wanted Ecuador <laughs> to win, which was weird for me to do. And, and then Beckham scored a free kick and they won. One nil, so we, it was a win-win. But at the same time, I did feel a bit sad for the small country and you know, like my heritage. If you had to choose, would you choose dancing or singing? Dancing, hundred percent. Yeah. Best uh, dance club in London? Probably salsa in London. That's probably the best one. That's not that I'm not that good. Like, just, it's, it's just one of the best ones that I've seen. So, yeah. Mm. Do you have a favorite music artist? Um, oh, I, I really like Bad Bunny. Really I thought you were gonna say that yeah. for some reason. Uh, it's probably it's probably all the Instagram posts, and the subliminal music that you hear that I put on it. Um, I really, uh, yeah, he's got a great voice. He's mm. a great person like mm -hmm. he doesn't conform to a lot of what's happening he's speaking up for um a lot of the people's rights and he's just mm -hmm. amazing and and mm -hmm. i just you know it'd be great to see him or meet him or mm -hmm. see him live and uh i've got a lot of time for for bad bunny yeah so there's a rumor that you're a chicken wing lover. Do you have a uh, favorite place to eat wings or a favorite sauce? You know, are you a Nando's guy? I don't know if that's like, you know, what we're talking about here, Good more question. advanced. Yeah, I mean, you could do a whole podcast on this. 
Uh, man, I, I just, I don't know why. I, sorry to all the vegan listeners and stuff, but like chicken wings are just, uh, the way it just comes off the bone, right? It feels like there's a tear coming down my eye now. Uh, but buffalo wings are my thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I like them the most is uh, they Brewdog does a good chicken wing. Definitely check them out. And low, in London, it's just chicken shops galore. So you're, you're going to find loads of chicken wings. And, and yeah, I mean, yeah, I can't wait. I, I probably haven't even scraped the barrel of the best ones. And I need to do a tour of America and go to the deep south. And that's where I'll really find, you know, that, that that's probably my aspiration. <laughs> that's my future. <laughs> that's the second foundation you're going <laughs> to yeah. open. You know, one empowerment, the other chicken wings. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> If there's anyone interested in breaking into sport for development and peace, what advice would you give them? I'd say start very local. Like I think it was, uh, I didn't know this was going to help me, but you know, working in the local community and and really digging deep in, in terms of what, you know, the local stakeholders or how things work, um, policy level, like the local council, uh, if you could find a way to volunteer or, or just connect with someone and uh, work with another coach, you know, work in a youth club and just help do do the cones, do the balls, do the the. Uh, I did I did some of that stuff and it was really rewarding, but at the same time it gave me the skills to understand, you know, how these coaches or how people interact with parents, how they interact with um, other coaches, other providers, and the issues that they face when they're booking a sports hall. You know, all these little things that you don't really see um washing the kit you know not having equipment uh positives and negatives i think if you find a way to just just trust yourself to just give a day or two a week to just do that people will appreciate that help and you'll you'll learn very quickly um how things are done and and opportunities will come up within those organizations if they're growing for you to do a role and, and 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 evolve from there so rather than just jumping to and you're seeing the laureus job and, and see it and you see a lot of it people will work their way to just get to a laureus or to a unicef or whatever it is because it's a big name it's not it's necessarily the holy grail like i think it's people that come to laureus go into other things when they leave it's not the end goal is people do their own thing but you can find a way to start locally and and build up those core values and experiences then the rest will follow and in addition to that community-oriented experience you mentioned, are there any specific skills you think are quite important in, to being effective in the sport for development sector? Yeah, listening skills. Like, and you've done that brilliantly today. Uh, I, I think just being able to listen, know, and, and learning when to talk and what position you're in is is fundamental and. It is all people based. Like there, there are skills. You know, if you if you know how to do Excel, if you know how to use Salesforce or CSM systems, uh, if you know about monitoring evaluation, do that because these skills are very valuable and, and they're technical, and and they're out there. There's resources out there for days to do that. And again, we have connections with people that can provide that. But the key stuff is around how you are as a person and what your values are. Uh, try you know try not to be the, la- the the loudest voice in the room or dominating the conversation or people don't people want to hear what you want to say but you need to find a way that you need to lead from the back and ask questions that make other people find the answers or question what they're doing and and help them get to an answer so if you can listen and coordinate and facilitate appropriately um, if you if you're open to experiences and, and understanding contexts and and just having a good relationship with people and, and you don't have to chat about work all the time. You can chat about what they've done over the weekend, what they're looking forward to, what's good in the community, what's the food like. You know, there's things you can really uh, create relationships on a on a very basic level and, and the rest will, will, again, it will just follow. So uh, the people skills and listening communication is key and it will take um, practice. I, I don't just walk into this role and know how to talk to people. It's it's come over time when I've just learned how to react and how to, you know, articulate and, uh, you know, that that's how I've learned over the years. What is one thing you hope listeners remember from our conversation today? Uh, just 
apart from the chicken wings, uh, I think they uh, <laughs> sponsor Lee now. He's open. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I would really like them to just just take heed to the to the journey of of self belief, and it's probably more for those that have that self doubt, and that does exist. And even if you are the most confident, then you probably have a lot of insecurities as well. And uh, I think the the journey of how to kind of overcome any self-doubt is what I want them to take away from. It's not perfect, but just question yourself. Why do you feel a certain way? What, you know, have a bit of self-therapy and ask yourself how you feel before you action, you know, and then sleep on things and, um, and then t- tackle whatever it is that you need to tackle. And it's not the end of the world if it doesn't go to plan. Uh, thanks, Lee. And and how can the audience support you or your work moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm all, I'm all about like just finding opportunities where we can create like a, a change in a community. Like if there's if there is something there, if it's a corporate, if it's an NGO, if it's a group of young people that are just trying to start something. Uh, then then get in touch, you know, whether it's like with myself or my colleagues at Laureus and um, the partners that we have, the networks that we connect with, like we can always refer and, and connect and, and seize on those opportunities and not necessarily by Laureus, if I'm not just everywhere, but I think just th- those kind of things, getting in touch is is uh, is how you can help, especially, and, and check out the Sport for Good Cities initiative that Laureus is doing. Um, I'm happy to share the pages on that and, uh, see how we kind of are doing place-based work and, and the, the methodology behind that work and how long it takes and, mm. you know, staying a while, learning about that is, it would be great for people to just implore that, find out more and take it on themselves. You know, if they're working somewhere else or they're doing something else, you can adopt that and, and do it, whether it's in the arts world or, you know, whatever it may be in different generations um, in the workplace um, how to do like collective decision making diplomacy and um, make it authentic and, and get buy-in from everyone and make it bottom up just mm-hmm. just go ahead and do that <laughs> i've already got a part two and part three of this conversation if it's not chicken wings it's definitely be going to be what you just said like yeah. how to make that model work in the methodology there's so much to unpack there 100%. so yes. next time next time oh, that's a reason to reach out reach out to lee and find out you know what what that all means so uh finally lee you gave me permission to ask you this question and invite you to answer in spanish if you're comfortable lee who inspires you I'll, I'll go with mi mamá. Um, mi mamá es una mujer muy fuerte eh, que llegó en este país, en Londres, sin conocer a nadie. Muy joven. Um, hacía muchas uh, cosas como no, no eran correctos. Um, no, son, no son malos, pero ella, ella lo pasó así. Pero siempre me... me, me I'm not say this in English because I can't do it in Spanish, but like it, she always protected me and, and mm. made sure that I felt special and um, and gave me the the life that I had. And I saw a very strong woman who just um, connected with the community and uh, made sure that I was just able to do whatever I wanted to be or do. It was never forced. And um, to this day, you know, she's still out there and 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 kind of walking the beat and mm-hmm. embracing the community. Um, todavía está muy fuerte y, y pienso que um, todas las cosas que yo tengo viene de ella. Somos diferentes, pero somos iguales al mismo tiempo. Y por eso me inspira, porque the journey that she had to come here and to, go, to get this far, I've just taken it on and used it to the best I could. And, and uh, that's why she's the most inspiring person to me. She sounds like a force, a force to be reckoned with. So shout out to Lee's mom. Lee, thank you so much for your time, your insights, sharing your story with us, your inspiration and your advice. It's been awesome catching up with you. Awesome. Yeah, I've enjoyed it a lot. Time just flew. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, hopefully we can do another one again. But thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Inspira podcast with Erica Mueller Chen. I really hope you enjoyed the episode and found it useful. Be sure to check out the show notes for links and resources. Specifically, my link tree is there with tons of awesome information. Feel inspired to take action today? 
I've got three action steps you can take right now because you know your girl likes calls to action and the number three. So here goes. Number one, follow the podcast on your chosen podcast platform. Number two, share your feedback with me through the listener survey listed on that link tree. And number three, tell just one friend about this podcast so they can give it a listen too. And do I have any overachievers out there? I've got a bonus action step, which is to consider supporting me and making sure this passion project prospers. So number four, follow the link to buy me a coffee. That would be pretty amazing. Until next time, stay inspired.